Tade, and welcome to History of Estonia podcast, episode 23, Under Russian Rule, Estonia in the Second Half of the 18th Century. The Baltic policy of Catherine II, also known commonly as Catherine the Great. In the summer of 1762, Catherine II came to the Russian throne. Her reign from 1762 to 1796 brought about significant changes in the relations between Baltic nobility and Russian state authorities. The new Tsarina sought to abolish the existing privileges on the empire's outskirts and to subordinate them to absolute imperial rule. The significant improvement of Russia's international standing also enabled the enactment of the new policy. There was no considerable competitor that could tear the Baltic provinces from Russia. On a grand tour of Estonia and Livonia in the summer of 1764, Catherine II emphasized the inseparability of the Baltic provinces with the Russian Empire and pressured the local nobility to cooperate more eagerly with central authority. George Brown, who lived from 1698 and 1792 and was Governor General of Riga, became the central figure of the implementation of the new Baltic policy. Following the political doctrines of the time, Brown tried to regulate all aspects of life in a military style, from agriculture to the postal service. However, one must acknowledge Brown's attempts to improve the condition of Estonia's peasantry and promotion of education. In the summer of 1767, Catherine II invited elected representatives from all over the empire to Moscow in order to discuss Russia's new code of laws compiled by the Tsarina herself. The new code of laws threatened to abolish the former special status of Estonia and Livonia. This compelled the Baltic provinces and the representatives to work energetically to avoid the extension of the new code to the Baltic region. Although the Russian nobility believed that the laws of Russia had to be valid in the conquered provinces as well, the new code of law was not passed. However, Catherine II did not give up her plans of closer integration between the Baltic provinces and Russia. In the late 1770s, Russian authorities began making preparations for extending the new administration's laws, which were passed in Russia in 1775 to the Baltic provinces. As expected, the German nobility resisted, but Catherine II promised to make manners hereditary property in a compromise. This ended unstable property relations and constant threats of seizure by the state. In 1783, a new administrative system known as Regency, which lasted from 1783 to 1796, was established in the Baltic provinces. The former administrative division changed as the four existing districts of the province of Estonia, which were Lanama, Haryu, Yarva, and Viruma, were expanded, and a fifth district centered at Paldiski was created. However, it existed during the Regency only. In Livonia, the Viljandi region was separated from the district of Pernu, and together with the southern part of Tartu district, formed the region of Voru. 
after the new town was founded in 1784. Thus, together with Sarama, there were five regions in the Estonian part of the province of Livonia. The town of Narva and the surrounding area remained in the province of St. Petersburg, while the Setu district stayed in the province of Peskov. Some Estonian areas at the present southern border belonged to the districts of Velimira and Volga, with most of the latter being Latvian territory. In 1783, all regional centers received town bylaws. From then on, until the end of Russian rule, there were 12 towns in Estonian territory, and they were Tallinn, Tartu, Narva, Pernu, Kurosari, Hapsalu, Paide, Rockvere, Viliandi, Volga, and the new towns Paldiski and Voru. However, political reforms were much more significant. The political organization of the Baltic provinces was unified with that of Russia. A common vice-regent was appointed as the head of both provinces. The permanent executive bodies of the Baltic Diets were abolished. The new government of the nobility in towns was based on completely new principles. All estate owners in Estonia and Livonia acquired equal rights, according whether they belonged to the nobility or not. In towns, all property owners received voting rights, irrespective of their nationality or occupation. For the governing of towns, town councils were created that also represented less wealthy groups. The taxation system was also thoroughly reformed. At this point, a head tax which had been in effect throughout Russia since the time of Peter the Great, was established in Estonia and Livonia as well. In order to register the taxable population, a broad census began. As the records of this census have almost entirely been preserved in the archives, they are considered an important source material for studying Estonian history in this era. The establishment of a regency included a number of democratic elements. As it imposed restrictions on the former medieval system of local government, at the same time, the new administrative system was aimed at the assimilation of all borderlands of the empire with Russia, completely ignoring any historical, religious, or ethnic difference. In order to avoid an increase of tension between the state authority and the Baltic nobility, the former method of government was in principle restored after the death of Catherine II. As the ideas of the Enlightenment spread, the question of improving the state of the peasantry in Livonia gradually became more substantial. Johann Georg Eisen von Schwarzenberg, the pastor of Torma, criticized the feudal manor economy as unproductive, lacking in perspective, and in need of essential innovations. In his essay, A Patriot's Description of Serfdom of Livonian Peasants, Eisen considered it necessary to abolish serfdom and replace the unproductive system with monetary rent that would favor economic enterprise. Only a few landlords expressed the desire to modernize their manners. Most of them did not feel any interest or need to change. Therefore, the Diet of the Livonian nobility 
that gathered in the winter of 1765 were surprised when Governor General Brown made demands to improve the condition of the peasantry alongside other proposals. The nobility, used to the passivity of the central authority in regard to the state of the peasants in Livonia, considered the Governor General's speech an interference into the nobility's internal affair and expressed firm opposition to the attempts at reform. As Brown stood firm to his demands and referred to the support of the Tsarina herself, the nobility relented and accepted the proposals. In April 1765, Brown enacted a new program of regulations called Positive Regulations, or Protective Regulations which relaxed the regulation of the peasantry. Peasants were given the right to ungrounded property. The peasants that had fulfilled the obligations towards the manor could take the remainder of the agricultural production to market. Firm limits were set to manor duties, and the landlords could no longer raise them at their whim. Corporal punishment was limited to 30 lashes. Peasants were also given the right to file complaints against landlords, not following the regulations. Compared with the Rosen Declaration, the positive regulations were beyond a doubt a step forward. However, the status of the peasantry remained far behind the level reached at the end of the Swedish rule. The peasants still remained under the authority of landlords as serfs, and the Russian state showed little interest and whether the protective regulations were strictly followed or not. In 1764, a large-scale peasant revolt named the Head Tax Disturbance erupted. The peasants believed that the establishment of regency and the implementation of the head tax meant liberation for their manorial obligations. In several manors in Livonia, the peasants refused to perform labor. To quell the disturbances, military units were sent to manors. This resulted in the confrontation between peasants and soldiers. The height of the disturbances were called the Orchard War and took place in Rapina, where five Estonian peasants were killed. In the manor of Karula in Voru, women joined the fight by throwing stones at soldiers arresting the peasants. The Russian-Swedish War of 1788-1790 Throughout the 18th century, Sweden did not abandon the idea of reconquering Estonia and Livonia, lands lost during the Great Northern War. The first attempt in 1741-1743 ended for Sweden with a further loss of territories in Finland. In 1788, Swedish King Gustav III began a new war against Russia, taking advantage of yet another Russian-Turkish conflict. Most of the military forces that defended Estonia and Livonia were sent to the front against Turkey. Sweden's strategy foresaw an army offensive in Finland and a landing in Ingria with the goal of conquering St. Petersburg. By this, Sweden hoped to force Russia into territorial concessions. The military activities got stuck. The Swedish Navy did not gain predominance in the Baltic Sea, and the army failed to defeat Russian troops in Finland. 
In March 1790, a small Swedish military unit unexpectedly landed in Paldiski, forcing the local 500-strong garrison to surrender. However, capturing Paldiski was of little military significance. The Swedes hoped for more success with Tallinn, with the goal of crushing the Russian Navy. Despite their predominance and forceful attack, the naval battle on 13 May 1790 ended with a Swedish defeat. As Sweden found no success in Finland as well, the Peace of Vardarla was concluded in the same year, restoring the pre-war situation. Prior to the war, Gustav III hoped that the Baltic nobility, not satisfied with the implementation of regency and the restriction of their privileges, would support Sweden's conquest plans. However, the early months of the war showed the nobility's loyalty to the Tsar, and not many welcomed the Swedes. The peasants and townspeople were clearly pro-Swedish during the war. Rumors spread among the people that Swedish forces would land on the Estonian coast soon. In the summer of 1788, a large number of peasants, some armed, gathered in the woods near the coast, waiting for the landing. The flight of peasants to Sweden and Finland also increased remarkably during the war years. The Russian government, in turn, was forced to organize basic defense in Estonia and Livonia during the war. As there were not enough regular troops, the government issued permission for the formation of voluntary rifle corps in Estonia. In the autumn of 1790, there were already 10,000 members of the Navy and Army in Tallinn alone. To the Estonian people, the war brought about extra obligations in the form of building fortifications, transport responsibilities, housing troops, and others. The latter was often accompanied by conflicts between peasants and Russian soldiers. This is where we will leave off for today. As I mentioned previously at the beginning of this project, I have a lot of free time in fall and winter, but in spring and summer, my real job gets very busy and I foresee a break. I'm currently working through the book, History of Estonia, and if you've been listening from the beginning, it basically runs us through Estonian history with lots of dates and facts. I'm doing it this way because while I'm an Estonian history buff, I feel that I'm not the biggest expert on Estonian history. And going through the country's history like this will give both me and you, the listener, a broader education of Estonian history. So when I get to the next phase of the podcast, which I think will be a little more fun, as we'll get into individual stories of people, places, and events, we will all have better context for the period and time we will talk about. If I were to wager a guess, I think that this podcast is about halfway through with the book, History of Estonia. So at about this time next year, we should be wrapping it up and we will head to the next phase of the podcast. In next episode, we will cover spiritual and cultural life in the 18th century. So until next time, Nagamiseni. <laughs>